The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Christopher Duncan is with us here today. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing great today, yeah. Now, can you just describe to us, first of all, what it is that you do? Because it's quite complicated stuff, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So, oddly enough, I just found out this morning as well that I was uh, given a promotion and not told about it. But um, <laughs> I am the... <laughs> I work for a company called Raytheon, and I'm the uh, now associate director of... Uh, RF systems. So that's uh, radio frequency systems. um, And that's everything from handheld to like radios or, or, you know, Wi-Fi and things like that to some of the things that traditionally aren't um, associated or, or, you know, thought of as radio frequency in like uh, uh, low frequency, um, low frequency emissions from the earth and and stuff like that, which is also plays into my education. Mm. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of stuff that's included in radio frequency that you don't really think about because a lot of things run on frequencies in the air, not just radio as in the thing you listen to. Yeah. So it's really radio frequency. That term by itself is, it's kind of a, uh, artifact um in reality what it is is the electromagnetic spectrum the radio frequency is just a small piece of that usually used only for radio transmissions or tv but these days it's kind of no longer i don't know it's no longer a, a, a at least in my perspective it's no longer a term that's used uh very much yeah. um you know all the way down i mean you've got the, the the amount of things that are now outside of your typical you know quote unquote radio frequency area is, or it's a, it's incredible yeah, all the way yeah. up to you know gigantic um, space transmissions and and uh, or transmitters and and uh, and things like that all the way down to really low frequency things everybody's got or everything has some type of radio frequency signature yeah absolutely and up at the top of the spectrum you've got all this gamma rays and stuff and you can fight cancers and all sorts it's so diverse what all these waves can do yeah um when explaining that kind of stuff i like to uh sort of do it on a scale yeah so all the way on one side you've got super super low frequency and all the way on the right side or the other side you've got really really high frequency Mm. um there's sort of a cutoff point um just above visible light that becomes they start to become more and more dangerous yeah. uh, um, but at the same time they also um, they have higher levels of bandwidth for carrying data yeah. um, and you can do more things with them as far as uh, there's modulation techniques with uh, effectively figures out a way to send two signals at the same time mm-hmm. using the the negative of the waves or like if you imagine a wave kind of going up at its peak yeah uh, so you also transmit one and it's down at its peak at the same time and so they kind of opposite each other so you can fit two into the same transmission 
And then all the way on the other side, it's really, really low frequency. Those things are not really at all dangerous. We're blanketed in them all the time. Um, And that's where the anomalies that I research in my academic career kind of occur. And you get stuff that's, you know, some of it's from the core of the earth. Um, The movements of the the, uh, magma and, and... and the core um, emitting waves and, and, and every all these other things we really have yet to sort of discover. And that's really not helpful for data transmission yeah. because it's so low bandwidth, but it's interesting nonetheless. There's other things going on. Yeah, and is that how noise-canceling headphones work as well? You have two identical sound waves and they kind of cancel each other out. Yeah, so basic, basically what you're talking about is there's a little, some type of, processor in there it picks up that you know the baseline noise on the exterior is whatever sort of wave pattern x and that transmit the opposite and they effectively become nullified to your ear yeah they're still there but it's just don't pick them up yeah absolutely and is it quite fun the work that you do uh that's a creative way to describe it um (laughs) fun is fun is uh a broad word some days yeah it is i like uh i really like being on the sort of cutting edge or problem solving side of things it's like I've, mm-hmm. um, there are days when I actually go like hands-on with a engineering design and get to just absolutely full force say well, why was it done this way let's change it to this this and this yeah. and and then realize you know whatever amount of speed or cost savings or risk savings um, and those days are really, really good uh, because sometimes all legacy or all people need who have been doing a job for a long time is an outside, like fresh perspective. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes I get to provide that or sometimes I'm just knocking down really easy, close range sort of goals um, that may not seem easy to people who have been in the same position for five years or more. Um, Those are the days I feel the best and I enjoy it. Then there are days when I'm bombarded in uh, Microsoft Excel um, uh, uh, hell and uh, (laughs) basically doing financials and uh, um, taking raw data of finances and Mm displaying them 15 different ways for 12 different people and those those are not fun days yeah and can it be quite hard as well because the work sounds complicated and you have to understand a lot of sciencey things or is it just that because you understand it and have been doing it for a long time it just comes naturally to you now no it's it's still hard like every i think every week there's a moment where i just stop and put my head in my hands (laughs) (laughs) um yeah there's some of these things don't get easier no matter how long you've been doing them they're just unique problems yeah absolutely i think a lot of people in lots of jobs will tell you at least once a week they put their head in their hands especially teachers probably yeah yeah i would without a doubt that's got to be uh one of the more trying career fields as well yeah absolutely so let's go right back to the start and to your early life whereabouts were you born uh, so I was born in rural Missouri, which is like right in the center of the Midwest. And I was born right in the center of the state in a incredibly, so incredibly small town uh, named Eldon, Missouri. So that's E-L-D-O-N for the Googlers. Uh, I think when I left town, I had like 4,000 people in it, which was a big sort of increase and i think last time i went through it was like four thousand people wow yeah that is small yeah and 30 minutes from everything so the nearest big sort of uh city or what i would call place of employability was like 30 minute drive yeah um, with no traffic Mm. and just a little bit off topic but something i realized recently why is kansas city in missouri surely it should be in kansas (laughs) 
yeah. No, I think half of it is, and I think part of it is in Kansas. Ah, right. Okay. I believe there is a little bit of Kansas City, Kansas, and then there's Kansas City, Missouri. Hmm. Bit confusing that it's half and half. You should think the city you're going to name Kansas City should be somewhere in the middle, presumably, not sharing with another place. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of decisions that were made out there are kind of confusing to the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what was your early life like then? Oh, uh, colorful. Um, yeah kind of a typical uh, sort of um, Midwest um, trouble household, one parent working. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, my, my parents divorced at early age of like, I think I was two, if I remember correctly. Wow. Uh, went to stay with my mom uh, in who had essentially no sort of um, tangible sort of skills um, and hopped to retail jobs and, um, you know, just working in very simple retail or factories on production lines or, um, uh, you know, or uh, found support in, you know, who she was dating at the time. those kind of things uh, coming up that way was probably a big influence. Uh, it was also very sort of, uh, uh, there was a, an element of being, it was a very physically abusive household as well for my brothers and I. Um, yeah. And I think some of that was drug related. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's the first couple of years. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the abuse was it on you, or was it a parent that was being abused? Uh, it was primarily uh, me. I, as I was the oldest brother, so yeah. so she left my father uh, when I was two, and she had just had my brother. Uh, so yeah, so my my brother that's two years younger than me. Uh, from the same parents um yeah and so as the oldest i kind of caught most of the the wrath um being expected sort of from an early age to you know fill the the role of uh, the typical male role in a household yeah absolutely and were you particularly interested in science things as a child or i suppose maybe your job is something that might not have exactly existed back then yeah uh, i don't not a hundred percent sure it existed, but uh, I always was. So I was a, you know, it was it was it was an interesting sort of paradox. So at school, I was constantly uh, transferred back and forth to like I was. They would do the annual national placement tests. I would end up being placed in gifted science and, and math, um, and then because of home problems which led to behavioral problems, I would be dropped down um, to like a remedial level. Mm. And would then quickly realize like, this kid is beyond remedial level. Um, He needs to go up. And I'd find myself back in like gifted classes and that effectively repeated for my entire school time. Um, And then at home, like I found my best sort of uh, retreat from things going on and also where my interest lied is I would sort of whenever I could isolate into my own room a little bit and I was always digging on or digging into electronics like I would always you know some kind of toy where it was like a remote control car or something like that yeah it was within the first week of having it I'd taken it apart figured out what made things work Mm. and would start pulling out the motor or the the computer boards or whatever and then trying to sort of frankenstein them into something else yeah and, and uh yeah does that get quite complicated because i reckon even if i took some machinery apart i would see it all but i still wouldn't have any idea how it actually works it's just all wires to me yeah. um yeah that was part of the problem is once you get to the point of needing a computer board (laughs) you really really need some books or or you know formal education in it um 
I did manage to find a bunch of uh, uh, sort of electronic and computer programming books. Um, one of our family friends was going through a divorce and moved some of those box in, boxes of stuff in. Um, being a nosy, you know, I think 13-year-old at the time, I dug through some of the boxes and he had uh, a small book on, I think it was physics and the electromagnetic spectrum mm -hmm. and then a book on computer programming, which I promptly stole <laughs> and uh, uh, began learning that until the day came that I had a computer. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were younger, did you feel that you had any particular role models or anyone that was looking out for you in particular? Um, not uh, a lot of transient figures were very important. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the, the typical pattern um, was when my father was paying extra support for my brother and I, then beyond what was required, then he got to see us regularly, like I think two weekends a month. Uh, mm. When he didn't, then we were effectively withheld uh, by my mom as like a, a sort of a pawn in the game mm. uh, to get more money. Uh, and sometimes that went on for, you know, 18 months to two years at a time. Uh, and then on the home side, uh, really it was whoever my mom was seeing or became friends with. And even at like a young age, you start noticing like patterns mm -hmm. of moving, um, making a lot of friends. Yeah. And I'm talking about her, like making a lot of friends and the best and, you know, the best friends and becoming the most popular. And then suddenly all these friends start having these little disagreements and realizing that maybe, you know, maybe, she's not the best friend, you know, these yeah. kind of, you know, and then they always like sort of disappear. And no, in those times before they sort of disappeared, you know, we had sort of a mentor and things like that. Um, or, you know, someone at least to talk to or, or looking out for you. And then suddenly it was everyone's fault. They were just horrible people and it was time to move again. Um, in the local area, I did have a teacher that made a, a big impact on me uh, in fifth grade. Um, yeah. And she realized something was going on uh, at home and would keep me after school uh, two or three days a week um, and make sure I got home yeah. to, she did a couple of things for me really. Um, she kind of let me do my own thing. Um, so at the time I was really heavy into greek uh mythology and sort of the various historical stuff about greece and bios of alexander the great and all that um so i was spending a lot of time getting up and going to the encyclopedia and looking up things um and so she basically said just move your desk by the encyclopedia <laughs> bookshelf so i did and then she would uh at the end of the day she would bring me like a sheet of paper that had all the critical stuff from the day that I needed to do and know, I would do those things real quick. Uh, but then for the rest of the day, I was allowed to sort of read hmm. whatever I wanted. I ended up actually in fifth grade reading the entire encyclopedia and memorizing the Greek alphabet. It was like, wow. yeah, the, the encyclopedia would have like A and then it would have the Greek letter A and then the, you know, whatever sanskrit and and things like that um and so i just ended up learning the greek alphabet yeah um, that's quite impressive a lot of kids are like that they try and find out everything they can about a particular subject and everything yeah and she she would pull me aside and say like hey is everything going okay yeah. um taking the right cues even though i knew like you know this is stuff you keep your mouth shut about yeah. uh because we also, we where we had eventually settled about this time was mm -hmm. just outside of that town of, Ol or, or of Eldon. And uh, the, you know, quote unquote farm where they kept all the kids who were taken away or in foster care was a quarter mile down the road. And it was a family who had decided that their source of income was going to be raising foster kids. So they put like five trailers on a couple acres of land and it, they were just full of kids and uh that was never a good 
I don't know anyone from those type of situations that were either happy or turned out super happy. Yeah. Not to say they don't exist, but I, I don't know anyone and I certainly didn't want to end up there. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. in school, how does it work in America? Do you get to choose the subjects that you do? Because that's what we do here. Um, toward the end, yeah, yeah. the last four years in high school, uh, the first year, I think you pick like one or two. And then toward the end, you get more freedom with it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty much the same here. So what ones did you pick? Were yours kind of related to the career you do now, or was it more broad? Um, at first, they sort of were. Like, I, I picked a lot of um, science yeah. course, like a physical science course, and uh, I'm trying to remember now. Some physical sciences, a little bit of... Um, I think math and then yeah. and then sort of I, I came to this point where I had basically like you know the my opinion at the time was this is dumb <laughs> um you know I, I felt a little different from the you know my peers uh and not in the sense of like I'm a smarter superior person I felt like you know I knew on the bigger picture, a lot of this stuff wasn't going to be a significant thing in my life. And why am I sitting here? Um, and then combine that with more stuff going on at home, I changed the plan and began working on easier courses and attending school during the summer so I could leave early. Ah. And did you have any career in mind at that point and what you wanted to do? Well, at the time, so about, so at 16, I basically made my first attempt at running away from home. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to leave quick. So I decided like a lot of Americans do who want <laughs> to get away quick is to uh, join the armed forces. Um, oh. Yeah, um, a couple of failed attempts at running away um, ended up in... Yeah, so there was, I'll just explain the story a little bit. Uh, there was, uh, I was, at the time now, I had uh, four brothers, younger brothers. I was the oldest. I was about 16. Um, I was watching all of them, and one of them had gotten, like, hurt. And this is, it was pretty normal for me to come home from school uh, with all them, get them all settled, start doing things like making dinner, doing the dishes, and, and basically the household work until... My mother got home around, you know, eight or nine p.m. and and watch all them, and then turn around and get them ready for school and all those kind of things. Um, yeah. Uh, one of them had gotten hurt. Um, I can't remember. They were like, you know, playing a rough housing and, and bit the inside of their cheek or something. It wasn't, you know, hospital worthy or doctor worthy. Um, and then they came home and it basically just exploded uh, with the gentleman she was married to at this time uh and it just turned into like a straight up brawl with me uh but i it, the difference was at this point i had enough uh so at one point i was basically thrown down a flight of stairs and at the bottom was a baseball bat which i then grabbed and retaliated <laughs> <laughs> um and and then <clears throat> they she had this weird thing where she would grab, and this, these are the old phones, like the the phones with the gigantic cords on them, and they had the big magnetic speakers. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and she would always threaten, <clears throat> excuse me, and say, do you want to call somebody? Do you want to call your father? Do you want to call CPS? Or, and then when you got close enough, then the phone just basically whacked you upside the head and became a weapon. Uh, and so this time I, I basically came at her like I was going to swing at her. She got scared, dropped the phone. I caught it, called my father, said, you know, meet me in town. I'm out of here. Click. Uh, drove off. As I had I had saved. I had worked full time when I could most of my high school career when I wasn't stuck at home with, with kids. So that I had, I always had money saved um, and had bought a car. Um, uh, <clears throat> And then 
basically I, I barely knew my father. So he had a girlfriend. Um, and so instead, you know, after basic various attempts to run away and all this, he more or less just rented me a small apartment in, in, in the town he lived in. And I lived there on my own. Uh, um, and then I decided it was, I wanted to leave early. Um, ran away and rented my own place uh, and room got a roommate another friend from school that was it was walking distance from school mm. and started taking you know instead of taking trigonometry or advanced math i took like how to balance a checkbook yeah. um you know things like that to the point where my senior year was uh i think i took one art class and that was it <laughs> and uh and i was done um for one semester and forged some paperwork and was shipped off into the air force oh wow and what kind of stuff did you do in the air force were you in harm's way or were you kind of doing other things i was certainly in harm's way but not from like a combat zone perspective um <laughs> uh, but I was a, um, uh, an aircraft mechanic. So I was in school for about six months, seven months, um, just to learn how to fix airplanes and yeah. uh, um, ended up overseas in Germany for, which was, you know, more beg borrowing and stealing on my part. My, some guy I didn't know had, you know, his orders to Germany and they were trying to send me to Arkansas, which is right below Missouri. And that's like the <laughs> last, like, get me out of here kind of thing. So ended up doing like four swaps of assignments just to get to an assignment in my hand, like a Pokemon card that he wanted. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and then ended up getting it and going to Germany. Uh, wow. And whenabouts was this? What years were you in Germany? Uh, 2000 to 2004. Ah, and what were you working on there? Because what was going on in Germany back then? Uh, there are a lot of basically U.S. Uh, posts around Germany ah. that are legacy from like World War II era. Yeah. Um, and it's there are a lot of sort of cooperation and NATO support kind of thing, mm. things. Um, so I was assigned to a, a maintenance squadron and working on heavy aircraft. Yeah. When I wasn't in trouble. Mm -hmm. And was that kind of enjoyable? Because I think a lot of people say it's like a journey to find yourself being in the Air Force and the Army and things. Is it kind of like an adventure? Um, I don't know that I would capture it that way. Yeah. I would call it a catalyst. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, it, the work itself sometimes was enjoyable. I do very clearly remember some really beautiful days in Germany, um, yeah. sitting on top of the wing of an airplane, like doing some work by myself. Wow. I'm bothered, you know, uh, but I still, still the same predicament. Like I found myself, uh, not quite fitting in and not knowing why, like, yeah, just thinking like, all right, yeah, this is great. I'm doing this, but why am I doing this? There are other things I could be doing and I don't know what those other things are. And yeah. all these people around me can think about as a small little task thing, but you know, what else could we do? And, and, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good, uh, didn't do a lot of uh, self-discovery as a result of yeah. my time in, but my time in was a catalyst to sort of put me there. Yeah. And is that how you maybe got into the kind of engineering side of things by fixing planes? No, not <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, farthest from it. Uh, oddly enough, I would think that would be, but no. <laughs> um, no, so I finished up my time there uh, and I just stayed. Like, I, yeah. I went home back to the US to do all the a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to Detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The out processing and, and things like that. And then I just flew back. Like I was. Mm. Seeing someone at the time, like another, like quote unquote, like love of my life, uh, local girl, um, and moved back um, and was staying with her, uh, but it presented a problem of like legality <laughs> as a, and uh, and things like that. Uh, just money not being employable, being legal in the country. I was still a tourist now. Yeah. Um, so I did what any like reasonable person, reasonable person would do and went back on to the post where I was working and just started walking around <laughs> and inquiring <laughs> about jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, ended up getting a job as a, as a, on the civilian side as like a clerk, yeah. um, and started in the civil service that way. Um, which led to the remaining few years in Germany and then, uh, transferring to to holland after that yeah. um yeah but at the same time so all that's the, sort of the material side that's going um but personally like i was this is the point where i'd been overseas for four or five years and things were starting to surface like you know there was a lot of you know, trauma bubbling up realizing that you know i was processing things different than others um from that perspective um which led to led to a lot of what i call now um uh unplanned rapid uh trauma therapy yeah. <laughs> all i all i needed to do was or all i ended up doing not knowing you know being 21 or 22 alone in a country um at this time i had like broken up with that girl I moved back with and had my own apartment. Um, I didn't know what to do. And I was always, I was waking up in sweats all the time and screaming, like from screen, like what we now would be like very clearly that's post-traumatic stress. Um, yeah. Then it was kind of like just really crappy night's sleep. Um, and that was happening regularly. And I had this like country apartment um, on a hill right next to like a barn. So like the neighbor's donkey would wake me up every morning, um, which was, you know, some people would say that's annoying. I enjoyed it a little bit. Uh, and I just remember I woke up one time and I was just like, I gotta, I gotta stop, man. I've got to drop all this. And I didn't know what that meant, but I was like, I just gotta let all this stuff go. And for whatever reason I decided I was totally, so while serving, I was a hundred percent not the athlete on purpose. Um, very, you know, edgy counterculture on purpose kind of guy. Yeah. Like, and so I, I did not stay in shape. Uh, 
And then I decided I was just going to like run. Um, so I probably hadn't run in two years and I just threw on some shoes and stepped out and just started running. And the village I lived on was on like a ridge. So there was a trail and on both sides of the trail were steep drop-offs that you could easily roll down and break something. <clears throat> and I just kind of went on for miles and I just started running and would forget about distance and everything else and was processing all this stuff and getting like really into the deep sort of emotional side of it, the deep thoughts of it. Uh, yeah. And then I moved to, then I moved to Holland and there's no hills there. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. It's all under the sea level. Yeah. And yeah. what kind of work did you do there then? Um, so initially this is within my first, like, I think two years of civil service. So I was still a clerk there. There was a, basically a shipping port, agency um i kind of collaborated a little bit with like customs because a lot of the stuff going to the u.s was there um some shipping like a a lot of it was honestly household goods for other military excuse me personnel in and around europe um would come to the port of rotterdam at the time i don't think they do that anymore but Mm. and so i did a lot of just boring clerical work um and i lived in this i'm trying to think of i think it was like a 50 meter squared apartment like really tiny um really really tiny um and i was holland is not a cheap well compared to the midwest nowhere in europe is cheap to live but holland is not a cheap place to live um and i was you know eating rice and hot sauce in a bowl <laughs> to, to get by. And then the embassy, the U.S. embassy in The Hague had, I think it was every two weeks, they would cash checks or basically send the check to the bank for processing. And they had that date on there that said checks will be processed on this date. And to get my money in euros, I had to go to the embassy uh, write a check and they would convert it. And I was about, uh, floating checks. So I knew it would be four weeks before they cashed it. I only had whatever, a hundred dollars, but I would get paid on Tuesday. So I'd have a second check. And so I would write a check for all of it <laughs> and, yeah. and, and float checks and stuff. Um, and then eventually hard work started paying off. Uh, and also failures of others started paying off. Uh, a few people above me ended up getting like, fired. And I was just the guy that was there who did anything. Um, <laughs> and so I got promoted. Uh, and over a period of five years, ended up becoming a director of an office there, um, wow. which was interesting, uh, coming from a clerk. Um, <laughs> and still living in the same apartment, but making probably two to three times what I was when I started. Yeah, absolutely. And did you feel like that was work that you wanted to do just then? Or was it kind of like, well, I have to do this to get a job? No, no, I did not want to do it. Um, In fact, I went through this like slump where I I process a lot of stuff, come to the resolution that, you know what, this is it. I'm independent now. Like, you know, I'm my own person. And then just kind of like, there's nothing else Uh, Mm. from a career. What kept me entertained from a career perspective was I was constantly, you know, very short term or quick promotion. So there was an achievement thing, you know, there was a next goal to hit. Yeah. And then that stopped because I was a director and there was nowhere else to go really there. Um, So I got into this slump where I was, you know, it was kind of like a depression, you know, there was nothing else for me to really achieve at work. It was just showing up and maintaining. So sometimes I would just like, you know, not even turn on an alarm and just go in whenever I woke up and then leave early. Um, and, and so I just started traveling a lot more. Um, yeah. Ended up in Australia for about three months. Um, traveled around at Estonia, um, Italy, just, you know, driving 
I think yeah. one time I drove to the border of Spain and then turned around. <laughs> yeah. Is it nice to see the world? Yeah, sleeping in a uh, a rented smart car in church parking lots. Now I'm I'm six foot four, so wow. a smart car is actually to me is a very dumb car because it's a bad decision to rent one. Yeah, at that height. Um, but yeah, that was did a lot of those kind of things, uh, and eventually they they said hey it's time for you to move back to the u.s yeah and then at the same time i got another phone call and it was if you stay for six more years we'll move you to italy and give you another promotion um oh. and so i was like in this dilemma and that, that call came as the movers were coming into my apartment to start packing boxes uh and i had really the only person i had sort of kept at all in touch with was uh my brother that was two years younger than me and my father and that was a big like there was a bit of a resentment there because i had moved overseas at 18 and once i ran away and got settled i kind of told people where i was and that was it and then it was really a one-way communication kind of thing like mm -hmm you know, no one called me ever, never, no one ever wrote a letter, no one ever did, but if I called, they would talk, but otherwise it was just silence. Um, but I tried, okay, let's forget about that. Let's uh, grow a relationship with my father. And I called him and he basically said, you know, you've been away from home for over nine years. Um, another six would be 15. That's a long time. You're gonna have to settle sometime. Yeah. That was the guilt trip that said, all right, I'll move back. Um, and then they uh, packed up all my stuff and I moved to New Jersey. Um, uh, not by choice, that's just where they assigned me. Um, <laughs> and then there, they were like, we don't, you know, great job, you know, you're an admin guy. Um, we've got some technology sort of development stuff. Uh, we need somebody who is capable of running projects and yeah so well i think i'm able to do that like why not let's try it like what are you gonna do fire me so um so i took on those roles um ended up doing those kind of things uh yeah lived in new jersey for like two years and then they moved me to maryland um but it was close enough to other states that i, I lived in pennsylvania because it was closer or cheaper and I could still, it was still a 20 to 30 minute drive to get to work. Yeah. And started learning, like I found myself surrounded by engineers and scientists, you know, doing from the mundane to just really cool stuff. And that's kind of where I got on this path. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you end up doing this exact work that you do now? Yeah, so I had a, so I had two like key people in my life. And yeah. one was uh, a guy that, at the time, one was a guy I'd met in in germany and he kind of had took on this almost like fatherly role like he realized what was going on i was you know dealing with a lot of junk and he was always encouraging me like look you need to start like um expanding or or get an education so a lot of major u.s institutions um will send professors over to these larger size military posts and you can apply for college and then you've got a semester where there are like five professors there teaching set classes and you hope and pray that fits into a degree program. Um, yeah. So I ended up like, ended up studying a little bit of computer science there. Well, a little bit like two, two and a half years at night school, computer science. And then, and then when I came home, uh, I ended up working for a guy named Dr. Snail, who was a physicist, mm -hmm. a PhD in physics. Um, and was a really, really, really out of the box thinker. Um, not in the typical like crazy physicist way, but in the like very open to ideas and he saw a lot of potential in me. Um, and he basically was like, you need, to, you need to finish, like you need to finish this. So I ended up finishing a degree in computer science, even though I, I by this time I hated computer science. Um, uh, never wanted to write another piece of code in my life uh and then i 
essentially became the actual full program manager for some of these kind of programs. Um, and then the world sort of started opening up a lot because yeah. people started realizing, you know, with the way I thought about things of, you know, all right, I get our mission is to do whatever, develop, you know, a new airplane. Um, but if you thought about like this, this would really make it cool or, or something, you know, those kind of things. Um, uh, that kind of thinking and being around the right people who were supportive or a very strong like counterweight to me, you know, as they used to say, chasing butterflies, um, really balanced a lot of things and opened up like, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can. Um, and I started, you know, I was always in a position of fake it till you make it kind of employment. Uh, always was, in my opinion, suffered from being severely underqualified, but some, for some reason, people around me knew and trusted me. So they would give me responsibility. I would learn it and then I would adapt, be very well at it. And then they'd promote me again and it would happen again. Um, yeah. And it, it came to a point where I was managing a portfolio of technology programs. Like, you know, I had something like 18 program managers under me in the civil service. And I had some ideas. I had, by this time I had gone and got a master's degree in space systems. Um, and I had some ideas, I'm, you know, I'm sketching these things out on paper, you know, like it'd be really cool if we did a radar on this or we did this or, or you know what, if we leverage this, we could probably make space launching a little more affordable. And, and I just wasn't getting anything to stick. Like they were really good ideas. The chief engineer was very impressed. Like, this is awesome. Good idea. But when it came down to it, it was like, yeah, but you know, you're a program manager. So go manage programs kind of thing. Yeah. So I started asking around about, you know, new jobs. By this time I had maxed um, where you could go in the civil service. So mm. in the US, the civil service is on a scale. You, you know, it's one to 15. One is, you know, minimum wage. You know, those guys are operating cash registers at grocery stores, at uh, federal installations. And 15 is, you know, that's director level stuff. Uh, you know, that's, those are the guys you see running around the Pentagon half the time. And I was a 15. Um, and further, I was like maxed out at 15 on my pay scale because of various achievements and stuff. Yeah. Um, and the private sector came calling and said, what do you, what do you think? And I kind of told them some of my ideas. And instead of just them saying, yeah, 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 but you're a program manager, go. They said, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> If you want, if you want room to play, we'll give you a budget and everything, and then, um, and then a salary that also was uh, unbeatable. So I wrote a really sort of snarky resignation letter and left the civil service after 15 minutes. And uh, I believe it actually said, um, "I'm leaving to go work at Raytheon, where uh, my talents will be greater or better utilized." And, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you say that you felt underqualified and you mainly got the jobs because people trusted you, but I don't know. I think maybe everyone feels that way in a way that they don't deserve to be where they've got, and maybe they do. Yeah, imposter um, syndrome yeah. is a real thing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was always for me. It was always, uh, and it still is. There's a lingering voice of, and it's some of this inner messaging. You know, like we is people we're a weird species man we get yeah. a message in our head early on and then and that message might be you're not good enough or you know you'll never be or you'll never do whatever yeah and it just it just sticks and then you know i'm in a position where going through all this my education was always catching up to the requirements to be in the job not the you know, I wasn't a guy with an engineering degree that got a job as an engineer. I was a guy who had engineering aptitude and got a, you know, an engineering position on the premise that I was really close to finishing kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing, like, it, it sort of is 
has permeated through even like hobbies and, and all the other things in my life. Yeah. It's just a strange place to be. <laughs> yeah. And you're a member of Astrum Argentium as well. <laughs> yeah, Astrum Argentum. That's a... Yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Next. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you want some elaboration on that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, a part of this whole thing, um, you know, the, I said the catalyst wasn't the military. Um, all they did was put me in a geographic spot. And yeah, a lot of teach me what I didn't want to be a part of or, or what I didn't want, you know, how I didn't want to see the world or think. Um, but I was always like struggling for this sort of universal, I, you know, identity or where I fit, uh, uh, coming in a household that I described also had these overtly oppressive and manipulative sort of religious beliefs where it was, you know, you can't say anything or do anything about this because God says this or whatever. It was like a, a, the up and down of we're going to, you know, you know, there was one summer where I had broken bones in my right and left hand, the small little bones from your knuckle to your wrist. Uh, and my punishment was I wasn't allowed to see a doctor. And I just dealt with not having full use of my hands for the year while they healed um, yeah. or the summer while they healed. Um, but the thing was, is that, yeah, it sucks. You broke those. We need to go back to church to get right and start over. Now looking back, that's insane. But when you're 13 or 14, you don't have a lot of options. So, so nothing really fit. Like, uh, one of the studies I took was I I did a lot of, you know, in like a minor when I was doing all these night classes, it was into religion and stuff. Um, found myself, uh, I actually was a practicing uh, Tibetan Buddhist for a while, while I kind of processed through a lot of trauma throughout in Holland. Um, and then eventually found it still didn't quite like stick. I moved, I had my sort of spiritual practice. Yeah. I had my certain like way of thinking. And then as I started exploring more, I found uh, sort of the philosophy of, you know, Salima and then for everyone who's going to Google that, like, don't <laughs> like do some objective research. There's, it's a, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of just, it's the current target of all the conspiracy theorists and stuff like that. But um, it's basically a philosophy that, you know, we each have our own sort of predestined or, or predestination will or purpose in life. Um, we should, our goal should be to live that and only that and to treat others, you know, 100% equal, you know, yeah. without regard to race, sex, gender identity, or anything like that. It's um, sort of a universal tolerance, you know, the quote is like, we're infinite, infinitely tolerant, save for intolerance kind of thing. And our only sort of deviation from the one directive of, you know, find out what your purpose is, is enabling others to live their will without discrimination and stuff like that. Um, one of those sort of organizations that implement implements that is the, I call it, or most people call it the AA, uh, not to be confused with the uh, self-help group. Yep. Or the or, breakdown cover in the UK that we have. Uh, yeah. 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 That, that as well. Uh, um, has nothing to do with drinking alcohol or breakdowns. Um, <laughs> but the intent is basically, regardless of your, you know, your background religion, you can keep that or, or not. Um, uh, the intent is basically a series of achievable and measurable milestones to achieve uh, what's, what they call as KNC or knowledge and com- conversation with whatever you define your higher power to be. So for some people, it's a purely psychological thing, becoming, you know, knowledge of your inner self. Um, uh, a Christian-based thing would be knowledge and conversation with like a guardian angel or or God Himself, uh, those kind of things. Um, and you you start this off with uh, a heavy minimum. So to, for most of them, to even get into this, you have to have you know evidence of having go- undergone like a year of 
independent counseling, um, all those kind of things. It's really strong. Like they, they'll tell you just don't, like there's easier ways to find where you belong in the world. Um, do a very long period of study on the world's religions and sort of the methods, like uh, different types of meditation found in different religions and, you know, all these, all the tools and methods of everything. And then yeah. you pass like a written test showing you have knowledge. Um, and then you slowly begin like a, sort of twofold path, one of learning and practicing all these various tools that vary from the mundane to the very strange to sort of put them in your arsenal um, to get those answers. And on the other side, working on yourself through, you know, sort of directed um, independent counseling, as well as like, uh, you know, journal every day, doing a lot of union sort of shadow and other personality subconscious sort of digging out all that stuff that you've been processing and laying it flat and being okay with it mm. um, while at the same time you're you know meditating for an hour or whatever and then as you progress through it uh and you move closer and closer you, whether it's you're working on your intuition or your it all becomes testable like you can't you know unlike well, for example, Catholicism, you know, well, the Pope got there, but we don't, there's n on, on some level, there's some missing tangible sort of things. Yeah. In the AA, you can't go anywhere until you're like legitimately, you know, tested. Like, okay, so you've, you've mastered the sort of deep introspection of meditation. So I want you to sit in front of me and meditate for an hour and we're going to put a bowl of water on your head and none of that better spill, <laughs> you know, uh, and then when you can show me, you can do that, then we'll start working on the next thing, you yeah. know, those kind of things, or, you know, you've worked on your intuition for a year. Here's a deck of cards. You had better be able to predict the suit, you know, spade, heart, diamond, or, or club almost 50% of the time after they're shuffled before you flip it over. If you're so intuitive kind of thing. Yeah. And do you feel like you have made it in your career or do you still feel like you're going to go on another journey and progress even more? More is coming. More is coming. Um, I like what I do, um, but the unfortunately, I've put myself in a box. Yeah. Um, I, make, I make too much to just up and leave, but um, I also work too much to stay. Um, there are a lot of nights where I work till sometimes midnight. Um, wow. So I think my next step is probably going to be stepping out on my own and making, you know, starting a business of some type. Yeah, that's a good idea. Your own business. It's <laughs> a little risky, but, you know, we'll see. There's some niche areas out there um, that might be a little less saturated than others I can probably jump into. Yeah, and I guess it's a fun project to have. Fun, um doing probably not fun paying for yes absolutely yeah but you know if you make lots of money from it then yes it will be fun paying for yeah yeah in the long run yeah well is there anywhere we're able to keep up to date with you at all <laughs> yeah yeah so i wasn't uh initially i didn't really want to go down the social media um road yeah but um i do have a very small twitter account that i kind of keep updated personally and professionally um, right now it's on private, but if somebody wants to reach out, I'm more than happy to, I'm, I'll probably open it back up soon. Yeah. I've been going through some personal stuff, so I, I just kind of locked it up. Um, but the, the ad is, uh, <laughs> it's actually, uh, I'll say it, I'll spell it out. It's, uh, lol serious business. And that is spelled L O L S R S B S N S. So, <laughs> Yeah, uh, it meant to be entirely just, uh, you know, non-serious. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's a bit of an oxymoron, lol, serious. <laughs> yeah. And thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's been very interesting to talk to you and great to have you on. Yeah, it's been it's been great. You know, I'm, I'm normally not even up at this time, but I, <laughs> I, in fact, usually I'm just now getting up, but this is a good start to the day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The throbbing pulse of sound, the Toby Gribbon Show.